It's great to see every one of you tonight. You know, while we were worshiping, and I really appreciated Ricky just kind of staying in the moment there for a while. And, um, you know, we're talking about this is us. And that's kind of like figuring out who we are. And we're going through the book of Acts and talking about who we are. But, you know, I think the Lord was really impressing me during the worship moment that sometimes when, when you're figuring out who you are, you've got to figure out what you're the derivative of. And the Lord just kind of laid that word on my heart. And you say, what do you mean, the derivative of? Well, I didn't know what it meant either. So I had to lean over to my wife and said, uh, what does the word derivative mean? She goes, you know, derive something, derive from something. I'm like, oh, 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 yes, derivative. I got it. But, you know, it's really funny when the Lord drops a word in your spirit that you don't even know the definition to. You're really out there. And so I was just thinking about it. It's like, well, if you're, if you're going to try to teach the people of God that this is us, well, you've got you've to figure out what you're derivative of. Is what, where do you come from? Because what you're derivative of will determine what you are as a human being. If you're derivative of fear, then that's exactly the kind of person you're going to become. If you're derivative of worry, if you're derivative of grief, then that will be exactly what you'll become. So I began to think about, uh, we had a little, uh, little conversation which turns into arguments for the staff because we love them. Somebody asked the question, what does God call himself? When God's up in heaven, what, what does he call his name? You know, like Bo, you know, Chief. I mean, what, what does he refer to himself as? And, and we kind of went back and forth. Well, you know, he called himself Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And um, it's like, oh, does he call himself God? It's like, but what is in his heart? And it's like, well, what did God call himself? And we find out in Mo, through Moses that when he reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, he says, I am that I am. He said, I am Yahweh. I am that I am. I am derived by no one. I am the derivative of nothing other than myself. I am of myself. But he does tell us through Christ that we become the derivative of him. We are created in his image. We are the derivative of the image of God. But he also conveyed to us the nature of the church and what kind of people we are. And so tonight is Josh's leading us into the word of God is we're beginning to look as that we are derivative. We are derived from something, that this is what we are. Well, what do we go back to to look to see this is what we derive our value, our purpose, our mission, our definition from? So I just want you to, in the middle of everything that's being said tonight, I just want you to just think about what's driving your life right now. Just think about what's trying to make itself, it's your source of definition. You know, I woke up today and I had to chase some things around and I had to face some challenges in the middle of the day that had to do with, um, you know, flooding and, and the city and all this other stuff and some real challenges and I started getting angry and I snapped at one of the staff members and it was, I drove home early at four o'clock. I just said, I'm getting the heck out of here. And I just drove home, and, and when I became was the derivative of worry, or I became the derivative of frustration. 
And God just challenged me. He's like, okay, this is what you derive your value from. This is what you derive your strength from. This is what you derive. Or do you derive it from, derive it from the I am that I am? Because I am that I am so that you can be what I have called you to be. So if you feel like you are disappearing and you don't know the answer to the question or the idea, what am I, or this is us, maybe we've lost contact from, with that which we derive our meaning, the Yahweh of God. So as Josh is coming, just keep your heart open. Allow the Spirit of God just to talk to you um, because he wants us to learn. He wants us to expand. He wants us to be more than just Christian. He wants us to understand where we derive all of our meaning from and to grow in that understanding. Josh. I'm probably um, one of the most observant people that you're going to come across. I, I tend to kind of hold it over my wife and as the one thing that I have that's better than her. I mean, there's not, there's not anything I'm really better than her at, but, I mean, if you guys know my wife, she's incredible. Um, but I'm very observant, and I haven't really decided if that's really a strength or kind of a curse because I have a feeling that, you know, if you were kind of unaware of things, that it would probably be uh, an easier life, right? Um, but since I'm so observant, I get distracted really easy. And uh, if something catches my attention, uh, you know, in my peripheral, I just grab onto that. And so it's incredibly difficult to focus. And in that vein, whenever I go to the store and I have a shopping list, um, and I, I'm trying to find that last thing on my list, it's probably something that, um, that is a new item, an ingredient that um, you know, isn't a staple, normal necessity that I go to the store often to get. And um, I'm just kind of walking through the store. Have you ever seen that person walk through the store just kind of up and down the aisles five or six times? They pass you like five or six times, and you're like, okay, man, are you following me? Um, that's, that's me, because for how observant I am, I can never seem to find that new last item on my list. And so as I'm going through the store, sometimes I just have to give up and I just, you know, surrender. Okay, I need to go and ask a, a nice gentleman or lady for some help to find this item. And, and normally they take me um, and I, I follow after them. And lo and behold, it's, it's on the next aisle over that I haven't walked up and down several times. And, um, and then that, that relief kind of hits me um, of, okay, I'm not crazy, I can see still, um, that kind of thing, right? Um, but a lot of times, I get caught up in the mind game. So whenever, whenever I'm finally taken to that item, I might start to go down this, this rabbit trail, okay? Why is that item over here and not the first place I looked, right? It's... This is not where it should be. But anyways, so by the time I get the item and, and I'm at the checkout, I'm just ready to get out of there and go home and cook this incredibly delicious, edible, master chef style meal for myself and my, and my family, right? 
And I think that this is where we find the subject of, of um, the story here tonight. This is where we find a guy named Apollos in our This Is Us series. The Bible says in Acts 18, 24 through 28, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent and cultured man and well-versed in the Hebrew Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being spiritually impassioned, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things about Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly and fearlessly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, now let me just stop right there. Have you ever met or heard about two people that just belong together? I mean, come on, Priscilla and Aquila? I mean, those names just like roll off your tongue, right? I'm sorry, this is, this is me and my ADD moments. Um, but Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and then they took him aside and explained more accurately to him the way of God and the full story of the life of Christ. And when Apollos wanted to go across Achaia, southern Greece, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples urging them to welcome him gladly. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who through grace had believed and followed Jesus as Lord and Savior. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public discussions, proving by scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. And this is us. We have a passion and a desire for more. First thing, when we're introduced to Apollos, we're told that he's from Alexandria, Egypt. And I didn't know much about Alexandria at that time, but it turns out that Alexandria is, was the education capital of the world at that time, kind of like what London is today. There was a library there that was incredibly vast, and, and it was an eclectic place. It attracted all kinds of people from artists to mathematicians, from scientists to philosophers from all over. It also had an unrivaled collection of religious scriptures and books. And it was at Alexandria, in fact, that a few centuries before, the Hebrew scriptures were first translated into Greek. Some scholars even, even say that um, that's, in fact, the place that Jesus was taken when they were trying to escape to Egypt. Around the time of Apollos, it says in history that there is an estimated, uh, it's estimated between 500,000 and 1 million books were at this place. So it's an incredible library. I can't even imagine that many books. And it says, Apollos was an eloquent and cultured man, well-versed in Scripture. He was instructed in the way of the Lord and spiritually impassioned. And some other versions say that he was fervent in spirit. And what fervent means is having or displaying a passionate intensity. He had knowledge and understanding because he took time to listen. And he took advantage and he studied at the epicenter of education. He learned about the coming Messiah, and he probably read in, in Micah that he would come, Jesus would come from that region. And Samuel, he would be of the lineage of David, royalty. 
that he would be a mighty king whose kingdom will cover the whole earth and that it would be a kingdom that would never end. And he probably read in Malachi about the impending judgment against the unrepentant. When he spoke, people listened. He was convincing. He was emphatic. He was engaging. The problem was that Jesus, probably two decades before this time, had already come. He already died for the sins of the world. He defeated death and raising from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. Whatever Apollos' message was in the synagogue, he was absolutely, undeniably missing a key ingredient. He may have known the things of Jesus, but he didn't know the way of God. Have you ever been really excited about making this awesome dinner? Maybe it's for your hot date, or maybe you're having uh, a company over that night, and you know, you're whipping up this meal, you, you have all your ingredients, you went to the store, you're following the recipe, and you played it really nice, and you set the table, and then everybody sits down, you say your prayers because you're a good Christian family, and then you take that first bite, and something's missing. You forgot the salt. Apollos wasn't even aware that the recipe called for salt. He thought he had everything that he needed for the meal. The Bible says, and, beginning, and being spiritually impassioned, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things about Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Apollos knew only the baptism of John, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and the kingdom of the coming Messiah. He didn't know Baptism in the name of Jesus. Death unto life. The grafting in into the body of Christ. Into the kingdom of God and the promise of the Holy Spirit. It says, And he began to speak boldly and fearlessly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained more accurately to him the way of God and the full story of the life of Christ. We have a passionate desire for more. We have a teachable spirit. Priscilla and Aquila are observing Apollos, right? He's speaking in the synagogue in Ephesus. Most likely, Apollos' lecture thoroughly, and it says actually accurately, covered Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3, most likely, perhaps even the ritual cleansing in the law. Maybe it even had a call to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And he, he was passionate about what he knew and what he preached, and it was effective. His years of listening and studying formed the basis of his message, and he believed it wholeheartedly. Have you ever been really passionate about something, somewhere, or something in your life? Someone, maybe? What does it do to you? Think about it for a minute. Maybe it's food, and when you encounter it, when you smell that amazing steak, you start to salivate. Maybe you start to sweat a little bit when you encounter that special someone. 
or you get goosebumps. You might even get the heebie-jeebies, you know, those, that one-off shiver when you're, like, excited and nervous at the same time. Some of us, we just can't help but smile, you know, and, and others of us are moved to tears, right? You probably think about it a whole lot, and you might get lost in thought down like a rabbit hole and become unproductive at work. You're just kind of going through the motions while you're thinking about this thing that you're so passionate about. Or maybe it drives you. It sends you into overdrive, and it's your motivation, and you reach that optimum potential, right? If you don't already think you know everything about it, maybe you're like me, and you just dive in and try to learn everything it is there is about this thing or this place or this person. We have two little girls, uh, Amelia and Clara, and they're so incredible. Um, Amelia, she's so passionate about people. When she wakes up in the morning, she's like, Mama, Daddy, can we go to Alice's house? I want to see Alice and Doc today, and maybe even Theo. And I'm in bed, I'm like, she just rattled off three boys' names. I'm in trouble, all right? <laughs> No, but she loves to swim, too. If it's not going to her boyfriend's house that she wants to do, it's, can we, can we go to the pool or, or the beach today? But that's not before she picks out her dress because she's so passionate about presenting herself in beauty, and she calls me in there to zip it up for her or button it up. And Clara, first let me preface this by saying Clara is two years old, so she's passionate about every single thing that she actually wants at that time, to the point of like flailing and screaming and crying and all that, and, and she's absolutely perfect. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's not hard to find the thing that she's absolutely passionate about right now, and that's her rubber duckies. It's when she wakes up, she holds her crib, the bar's on her crib. It's almost like jail, I guess. And she's, Daddy! Mommy! Find my quacks! We're still working on the please. And, and sometimes, actually, that occurs at 3 a.m. in the morning. So we're working on the timing a little bit, too. But you get the picture. When we're passionate about something, it's difficult to come to grips with unsolicited advice about it. Think about your favorite team. Some, one of your friends comes up to you, and he's like, hey, I don't know if your team's going to be good this year. You know, New England, they lost a lot of people. Um, I think the Patriots are just not going to work out this year. And why is it hard to come to grips with? Because you know that thing so well, right? Or at least you think you do. You love it. You're passionate about it. And it reminds me of John the Baptist himself. Even John the Baptist had to come to grips with a Messiah that was a little bit different than what he expected. He was in prison, actually, and, and the stories in Luke 7, verses 18 through 23, and Matthew 11, 2 through 6, you can read it there yourself, but basically he's in prison, and his disciples come to him and say, you know, this is what Jesus is doing, 
And then he says to them, he says, go ask Jesus if he actually is the one or if we should expect someone else. And so they go to Jesus and they ask him this, and Jesus' reply was this. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. You see, Jesus, he was adding salt to the meal. Apollos, I think, learned when Priscilla and Aquila approached him. That studying on your own and maybe even going to church and listening to a message will only get you so far. It says, But when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, him, they took him aside and explained more accurately to him the way of God and the full story of the life of Christ. Apollos received the most important instruction of his life from a husband and wife that were irrelevant to him about a subject, the Messiah, that he studied and he knew about. The Bible says this guy was trendy. Think about it. He was articulate, intelligent. He was a passionate man. So how did he reply? Who are you to speak to me? No, he didn't reply to it like that. It says, And when Apollos wanted to go across to Achaia, Achaia, southern Greece, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples, urging them to welcome him gladly when he arrived. He was a great help to those who, through grace, had believed and had followed Jesus as Lord and Savior. After learning about Jesus more accurately, he went to Corinth. And why that's significant is because in Corinth, earlier in chapter 18 of Acts, we learn that the Jews in Corinth actually attacked Paul and drug him to a place called the judgment seat. Apollos, knowing that, because Priscilla and Aquila were there with him, they knew about that they knew about what had happened. With that knowledge, Apollos was ready to be thrown into the fight. That's essentially what that means. And what I think probably made his instruction from Aquila and Priscilla easier to swallow was that Apollos, he most certainly read the Old Testament I mean, it says that he was well-versed in Scripture. He probably knew all of the Messianic prophecy. He just hadn't made that connection yet. He knew the time of the Messiah had come, right? He knew the importance of repentance. He just needed help connecting the rest. That Jesus came for the sick, to set the captive free as a friend of sinners. The clearer we are on the full spectrum of the life of Jesus, what exactly was accomplished through his death and resurrection, and how that applies and is represented in our lives, the more empowered we are to face the next battle. 
Apollos was incredibly teachable. He had, pa- he had a passionate desire for more. And this correlates to the story of Philip and the eunuch. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but early on in Acts in chapter 8, um, Philip was told by the Holy Spirit to chase down a chariot that was carrying an Ethiopian eunuch. He didn't know the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch didn't know him. They were probably extremely different. But the man didn't understand, in the chariot, the man didn't understand what he was reading in the Old Testament. And so Philip preached Jesus to him, and he believed. And when they found a body of water, they came up to it and he was baptized in Jesus' name. I wonder how many times, whenever I'm thinking about how different these two guys were, how different Priscilla and Aquila were to Apollos. I wonder how many times we've missed learning the deeper things of God because we couldn't relate to the person or we didn't think we could. I believe Priscilla and Aquila and Philip's passion and desire for more propelled them into a life of generosity. I think it's important, <clears throat> excuse me, to note that when the Bible says they took him aside, I think a, a lot of the commentary on, on this scripture um, indicates that they probably, this was probably over several days, because it said they explained to him the full life of Christ, right? So they probably brought him, brought him home for a meal, or they met up with him several times, most likely. But it doesn't say that they reprimanded him or punished him. They didn't go behind his back and say, hey, did you hear what Apollo said in the synagogue today? They didn't put him on blast or try to expose him. And for me, there's there's a few big takeaways from this. One, they noticed him. They noticed Apollos. It says they went, they were in the synagogue and they heard him. There were no excuses made by Priscilla and Aquila. They didn't say, you know, this guy, he's he's a lot younger than us and he'll get it someday. They joined with him. It says they took him aside, they took Apollos aside. And they didn't hoard what they had. Some of us need to stop hoarding the things we've been given, and that even includes some of our pain that we've experienced. I have to open my eyes, and I have to see people, hear people, observe them, understand them. And when I see and hear people, my, un- my understanding of the incomparable love that Jesus has for me how strong it is, how high it reaches, how far. It compels me to invite people to the table. 
I think when we listen to the Holy Spirit taking time to see people and are willing to be generous with them, investing our tools, our resources, our experiences, it prepares them for the next step and helps them to move forward. How many people do you know have a skewed idea of Jesus or of other Christ followers because they haven't tasted the entire recipe as it was meant to be? Paul encounters some disciples actually in chapter 19 which proves that there's plenty of people that need to hear the message. There's plenty of people that knew. There was 12 disciples, it says, that knew only the baptism of John. It's remarkably similar to Apollos. And the beauty of learner, lover, leader is that you're never never done giving. You're never done being teachable. You don't reach the pinnacle of discipleship and oh all of a sudden you can stop learning now or stop giving to others what you know. God wants to continually add new ingredients to our refrigerator, to our pantry because there's plenty of meals to be created and made to share with other people. The apostles, the evangelists, the teachers of that time, they actually traveled in twos. And when Jesus sent out the disciples, he sent them out in twos. And why is that? It's because there's accountability in numbers and community. There's a sharpening that occurs in community. And there's something powerful about having a witness. And that is that scriptures say that when two or more are gathered, that Jesus is in the midst. Every resource we have, every need, every victory, every scar is not meant just for us. But it's also meant for those around us. And I think a lot of times we don't recognize that having scars, having needs, are actually a benefit. And what it says in Scripture is, in James 1, 3 through 4, Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result And do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. The Bible is full of people with experiences of pain and failure that produced endurance. And those are the things that a lot of times we lean on in Scripture, right? So what makes us think that our own pain and our own scars are meant to be bottled up inside. I think a lot of times, 
We make excuses, probably. I'm an introvert. I don't know enough. I don't have what it takes. I don't have anything to offer. But God has a history of using people that have incredible excuses. Listen to this list of people. Moses. What did Moses have? Scripture says that he had a heavy tongue. Some people say that that means he had a, a, a speech impediment. He had a speaking problem, right? Joshua, who took Moses' place, was scared. God specifically said to Joshua, do not be afraid, because Joshua was afraid. Jeremiah and Timothy, they were both too young. And Abraham and Sarah were too old. David, too small. Peter, not smart enough. Elijah, outnumbered. James and John, too rough and tumble. Paul, he wasn't even a good communicator, it says, or he says. Martha was too busy, and Samson was too far gone. The reality is, is that God has allowed you to experience the pain, your struggle, so he can shine a light through you onto other people. I think of a lot of us don't understand that our lives, our existence, and the lives we live aren't about us. It's about other people. Everyone has something to give. We've all been given something to invest, a talent, a resource, an experience. But there's risk, right? And even Paul in chapter 19, after he encounters the 12 disciples who knew the baptism of John, just like Apollos, he's preaching in the synagogue in Ephesus for three months. And then some of the people that are there, they start to insult him, speaking evil of Jesus, insulting Jesus, being belligerent with him. So he had to stop teaching and he, at the synagogue, and he went actually to a school nearby. He actually had to remove himself from the situation, and I think that, that mirrors today. There's some people that you might actually have to leave behind because they're hardened. They don't want to hear it. They make it impossible for others around them to learn, too. But one important thing, I think, to take away from Paul's experience here is that Paul actually didn't leave the community that he was in. He didn't just up and hightail out of there. He actually stayed for two more years, and it says he teached every day at the school where he had moved on to until everybody in the region, it says everybody in Asia Minor heard the gospel. Paul didn't move on because 
he was inconvenienced by somebody. He moved on because people were hardened of heart and they were making it impossible for others to learn at the synagogue where he was speaking. So I think it's important to note that, you know, we don't just not do things because it's inconvenient for us. And in fact, I was listening to someone talk the other day about, um, about the rain. How a lot of people say, oh, I love the rain. Don't you just love the rain? And really what they mean is that they love hearing the rain and they love seeing the rain inside their cozy house, dry. When in reality, if they were outside in the rain, they would be trying to get out of the rain, right? Particularly for you ladies who maybe you are all made up and your hair is done just right, you have your makeup on. You try to run as fast as you can to get out of the rain. And think about it. In your car, you're driving in a torrential downpour. You might be dry in your car, but it just slows everything down. It is so inconvenient. But I got to thinking that God created us for relationship with people, and people are so inconvenient at times. <laughs> I know I am. In fact, if you ask me to help you move, I'm sorry. That is a huge inconvenience to me, to help you move your things to another house. I mean, people interrupt our lives, right? It's inconvenient. You're beautiful, but you're inconvenient. I'm sorry. It's inconvenient to love my neighbor as myself. But just like the rain, I think God shows us that through inconvenience, life is brought forth because the rain waters the grass, and just as life springs forth from the rain, Life springs forth when you enter community with one another. So, I have to ask you this. What is your next step? What is your push forward? What do you need to do? There may be someone that hasn't yet stepped into the store they haven't made a list of ingredients to purchase, to create a meal, to share with someone else. They haven't yet stepped into the store, and maybe it's because you're stuck in despair or somebody said something that rubbed you wrong and it's just stuck with you your whole life, and you just don't want to even give God a chance. There may be some of you here tonight that are in that position. And I want to say to you that God hasn't given up on you and probably the reason that you're here and if you heard anything that God spoke to you tonight, it's because he's knocking at your door and he wants you to invite him in. He hasn't given up on you. And there might be another person here tonight that can't find that last ingredient you're like me. 
you have your list, you have your cart full, but you're walking through the store and, and you just can't find that last ingredient. You need to seek wisdom and knowledge. Ask somebody for help. And then there might be someone who needs to open their eyes, who needs to see other people. Just like Priscilla and Aquila heard and saw Apollos. You need to take off the veil of judgment. Take off the veil of shame. Take off the veil of excuse making and actually go and take someone aside. And there is someone here that has a meal prepared. They had all their ingredients. They went to the store. They prepared the meal, but they're sitting alone at the table. You need to share it with somebody. You need to invite somebody in to sit with you and share your incredible meal with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're incredible. You see us. And you call us to see other people. Thank you, God, for putting people in our way that have life experience to share with us. Thank you that I don't have to go and do it on my own, but that I can join with community. And that I can invest in other people as well. And I pray, God, that you would begin to show each of us where we need to step into. As our elders and pastors come up front, Ask the Lord, what is my next step? What do I need to do next? Who do I need to see? Who do I need to go and ask for help 